The taxi's tires grapple with the curb out front of the hospital. The driver doesn't honk the horn. Only the asshole drivers do that. Some drivers will take off, forsaking their passengers if they're made to wait too long. Not this one, though. He'll wait as long as it takes. It isn't long before his fare comes out, a man, late twenties or so, thin as cornstalk, like his skin had been shrink-wrapped around his bones. About what you might expect to eject from a hospital. The skinny guy gets in the back seat and immediately the scent of cherry tobacco surrounds him. Not at all unpleasant. It reminds him of his grandfather. The driver doesn't respond, just sits there, a garden of ash-colored hair escaping from under the sides of an old-style newsboy cap. He's got a mild beard and a gray jacket with epaulettes and a wide collar. He doesn't turn to look at his passenger at all. Are you David? the driver asks. Yes, sir. The driver tugs his shifter into gear, satisfied with the answer, and draws the vehicle away from the curb. He never wrote anything down onto a clipboard or anything. The passenger finds that strange. They continue on course, sitting in silence for a few blocks. The driver doesn't offer to put on the radio or talk. David notices he never started the meter. Eventually, the driver interrupts the stillness. How long were you there? The question catches the passenger off guard. He had been staring at his bony reflection in the window. Pardon? I asked how long you were there. He assumes the driver is talking about his stay at the hospital. Oh, a couple of weeks. The driver just nods. You know where to go? David asks. The driver nods again. It's part of the program, the driver says. I know where to take you. The rest of the trip is filled with shared silence, neither the passenger nor the driver offering any more words. David never asks him about the meter. The driver never mentions it either. David just assumes it's another part of the program. Later on that same day, a young woman glances out the window through the curtains and notices that a taxi is waiting. Several minutes go by before she shuffles out the door. The taxi is still waiting, thankfully, and she climbs in. The interior of the cab is clean and smells of citrus. Christina? the driver asks. Yes, I didn't know you were waiting for me. The driver just nods. He doesn't look back at her. Otherwise, he'd have noticed the makeup slurred across her face. He'd probably ask if she's okay. People always do when they see you've been crying. They feel obligated to. But the driver doesn't do any of that. He just puts the car in gear and commences to driving. Christina peeks over the seat at the meter. The meter isn't running, she says. She's not saying it to be honest. She's saying it to avoid paying some random, exorbitant price later on. This guy could say any number after the trip, and there'd be no way of knowing how much it really was. She doesn't want to be taken advantage of. Your fare is taken care of. It's part of the program. She lifts her eyebrows. Oh. The driver doesn't say anything else, and she gets bored of looking out the window at all the crippled houses floating by. She distracts herself by digging a pill bottle out of her purse and pops the cap off. It's empty. She lets out a frustrated sigh and the driver doesn't say anything. If he's judging her, he gives no indication of it. 
A few hours later, the cab stops outside a weathered old hotel. A gentleman wearing a leisure suit straight out of the 1970s spills out of the hotel and approaches the cab. Then he admits himself into the back seat, setting his small luggage on the seat next to him. The cab is crisp, clean, and smells faintly of spearmint. The passenger feels the whisper of air conditioning, which offsets the heat of the afternoon. It makes for a pleasant atmosphere. Michael? That's me, the guy says. The driver nods and exits the hotel parking lot onto the street. A few minutes of silence slide by. The passenger wonders why the driver never asked him for his destination. Gotta get to the bus station, Michael says. The driver nods. Say, can you tell me what time it is? The passenger taps his watch. He must have forgotten to wind it. The driver doesn't look up from the road. Ten after two. Damn, Michael says. The driver peers back at him through the mirror. Passenger's sitting back there rubbing his face. I think I'm going to be late, trying to get back home. Home, the driver repeats. I wouldn't worry too much. I know one of the bus drivers, Ed. He'll wait. He's good about that. A sigh of relief falls out of the passenger. Ed, you say? The driver nods. A few seconds pass. You really think he'll wait? The driver nods again. He's waited for folks before, I know. We're part of the same program. We cross paths from time to time. They arrive at the station, and sure enough, the bus driver is waiting. Michael gathers his luggage and thanks the cab driver, who just nods in response and drives away. Later that evening, the cab driver eases to a halt in front of a retirement home. An old woman is sitting outside already, waiting on a bench with her gnarled hands resting in her lap. She looks a bit confused. He gets out to help her into the car. Edith? The old woman nods and says yes, but the look of confusion still decorates her pale, wrinkled face. The driver gets situated in the front seat and starts going. She notices the faint aroma of cinnamon. A few minutes later, Edith begins searching through her purse for something she can't seem to find. Her hands struggle to operate smoothly as they once had. Oh, dear. I must have left it in the dresser. The cash. In the dresser. The driver gazes at her through the mirror. He can only see the top of her head, she's so short. Even so, he can make out that she's starting to get flustered. Do you... do you take a check? It's okay, ma'am. Your fare is taken care of. Oh, that's nice. Was it William who paid? William is my husband. No, ma'am. It's part of the program. Where are we going? I don't know what I'm doing here. Are we going to see my son? Michael? Don't worry, ma'am. I'll get you where you need to go. It's my job. Do you know my Michael? I've met lots of Michaels, he says. He glances at her again through the mirror. He can hear her muttering to herself. She seems rather distraught. I don't think I'm supposed to be here, she says. They will be looking for me. I'm not supposed to leave. Her hands are trembling in sync with her lips. The driver cannot see this, though. His eyes are back on the road, anyhow. Everything is as it should be, the driver replies. You have an appointment. I'm taking you there. It's part of the program, dear. Not to worry. 
He takes the quickest route to our destination. He knows the lay of the city as a surgeon knows the anatomy of a patient. He's been doing this a long time. The cab eventually slows to a crawl and then stops in the middle of a graveyard. He puts the car in park. We're here. The old woman looks out the windows at the cemetery, the headstones. The rows of thick trees standing tall above bright geraniums, shivering in the soft breeze. The sun teeters on the edge of the horizon. Are you sure? The driver nods. He doesn't think she saw him, so he adds, I'm sure. We're here. He climbs out and strides around to open the door for her, then helps her out of the car. She stands in the dark grass, barely taller than the cab. Edith searches around for something familiar, doesn't find anything helpful. She takes a deep breath, clutching her purse close to her body. She looks back for the driver, but he's already shut her door and climbed behind the wheel. He's not watching her. She has no idea what to do, giving in to a vague instinct to walk toward the graveyard. She's still confused, but she edges onward. Then she sees him, a young man in a leisure suit, standing beneath the tree. She recognizes him. Her son, her Michael. Something tugs at her memory, a distant feeling, like she had lost him many years ago. The feeling passes as she gets closer. He smiles and sets his luggage down onto the grass. She smiles back, then their figures meet in a long overdue embrace. They slowly fade into nothingness, merging with the shadows beneath the tall trees. The cab's headlights flare on, then it pulls away, off to collect the next passenger. The driver knows nothing of them, only that he will wait, however long it takes, that when they are ready, he is there to take them where they need to go. Some of them are ready right away, like the gaunt boy from the hospital, weary from his battle there, or the girl who had wanted more pills, only to find that she had already taken them. Others, like the man in the ancient suit from the hotel, they are not ready for a long time. Either way, he is always there, always dutiful. Those like he and Ed, the bus driver, fulfilling their tasks with a sense of purpose, it's all part of the program. The cab drives ever onward beneath the pale light of the evening stars, then slowly fades into nothingness, merging with the darkness, an ethereal transport connecting those who are ready with their final otherworldly destinations. It's all part of the program.